If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And as you know, we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived, recorded in the greatest book that has ever been written, addressing some of the greatest issues morally and ethically that have ever been addressed or that we need to address and will address throughout life. Today we're continuing with the theme of prayer based on the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. We've just sung the text, but let's read it again or look at it as I read it. Matthew chapter six, beginning with verse nine. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This uh, prayer is uh, usually referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but I rather refer to it as the model prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is actually John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, you have what is called the high priestly prayer. It is there that our Lord prayed to the Father uh, for his disciples, but also for you and for me. This prayer that's recorded in Matthew chapter six is recorded in only one other place. And it's in the gospel of Luke according to 11, chapter 11 and verse one. According to verse one, the Lord's prayer, what we normally call the Lord's prayer was given by Jesus at the request of his disciples who said, Lord, teach us to pray. They were not asking him, Lord, give us a prayer to say. Although there's nothing wrong with praying or singing the song as we've just done. Many times uh, we also are asked to quote the uh, prayer, uh, the, the model prayer uh, in unison as a group of people. But the Lord did not give us this prayer that we might recite it as a ritual over and over again. It was given, as I said, in response to a request, teach us, Lord, not, not teach us a prayer, but teach us to pray. And the Lord uh, here in chapter six is saying to us, when you pray, he mentions this several times, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. The Lord expects us to pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. And when you pray, here is a pattern a model, an example uh, that you can follow as you pray to the Father. And so we are to do that. You, you cannot say the Lord's Prayer in a personal pronoun, I, a singular pronoun, I. It's always, it's not I, me, and mine. It's our, we, and us. Our Father, and give us our daily bread, and so forth. Uh, and deliver us not unto evil, and so forth. So it's, it's a prayer that uh, we are to use as a model prayer. 
when Jesus, we looked at chapter six at the very beginning, the first four verses addresses the subject of giving, not just financial giving, but any kind of giving where you have an opportunity to uh, relieve the suffering of someone because they don't have proper food or clothing or, or they're sick and you need to minister to them. Uh, the Lord said, when you, when you give to others, don't do it as, as a spectacle. Don't do it in a way that you're trying to get the praise and adoration and recognition of other people. You, you just let it be between you and the Lord and, and that individual or individuals when you do that. Don't be as the hypocrites, he said, who love to receive the applause and recognition of men because of the things that they have done. And then the second example that he uses is in the area of prayer. And he talks about people who love to go to the synagogue and to stand before everyone else and verbally express their prayers to God or who stand on the broadest street corner in the city where there's the largest crowd and it is the time of day in which you are to say your prayers and so you audibly, loudly cry out in your, in your prayers to God so that everybody can hear and see your praying and say, oh my, what a pious person he is or she is. She certainly is, he certainly is one who loves God and it's evident by the prayers that they pray and so forth. And Jesus is saying they've got their praise, they've got their recognition, they are hypocrites when they do this. And I suppose that if there's only one sin that upset the Lord more than anything else, it would have had to have been the sin of hypocrisy. Not just in the hypocrisy of every individual, but especially those who profess to love God and to follow him and especially his disciples. The 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord repeatedly condemns his woe upon the hypocrites who do certain things in order to be recognized and to receive the applause of men rather than to do it unto the Lord. And so he says, when you pray, don't do like the hypocrites do. They get out in public. When you pray, you go to a closet. And we looked at that last time, not literally your closet, because remember the people who lived in our Lord's day did not have a house where there were multiple rooms. They just had one room, that was it. And that one room served as their living room, their kitchen, their bedroom. They didn't have a closet that they could go into to pray. And so what he was really saying here is just close the door to the public. And in privacy, wherever you can find a secret place, a private place, then you seek that out when you pray. And in privacy, you pour your heart out to God and the Lord who sees in secrecy what you are expressing to him will reward you accordingly. But do it privately, he says. So if our Lord is saying there is a wrong way to, way to pray, then I believe that our disciples is saying, well, Lord, if there's a wrong way to pray, what is the right way to pray? And so in answer to that question, the Lord gives what we now refer to as the Lord's Prayer, or as I'm saying to you, a model prayer that we are to use as we pray to our Father. So with that in mind, there are about six things that I want to share with you this morning about the model prayer that the Lord gives to us that we are to follow in any prayer that we might pray. And the first thing that we need to start off with is talking about the person of the prayer. 
the person of the prayer. And the person of the prayer is expressed in verse 9. He says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So it is the Father to whom we are to pray. We are not to pray to Mary, although she was a godly woman and certainly was the earthly mother of our Lord and Savior, but she has no greater influence uh, in asking Jesus to pray for us than anybody else does. We are not to pray to Mary. We are not to pray to any of the saints. We are not to pray to any of the angels. We are not to pray to anybody but our heavenly Father. So Jesus said, when you pray, then you address God in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word pray is what we refer to as an imperative. It is a command. Again, he didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray, it is a command. When you pray, this is a command. You are to pray to the Father. If you are a professed Christian, then you are to make it a regular practice of your lifestyle to spend some time every day in prayer to your Heavenly Father. And in doing so, you are being obedient to Jesus and to the Father. Pray. When you pray, it's not optional. It is a command that he has given to us. Praying is always a very serious matter and we are to exercise the privilege and responsibility to address our Father. Now the term Father refers to a personal, and in the word our, our Father, refers to a personal relationship that we have with God. God is omnipotent, God is holy, He is perfect, uh, he is sovereign, and we are to always respect that position and character as to who he is. But not only is he our God, if we are his children, then he is our heavenly father as well. And so we can approach his throne of grace with confidence, as the writer of Hebrews says, to come before the throne of grace, the King James says, boldly. Didn't mean to be cocky and arrogant when you approach the throne of grace. You're to do so humbly and reverently. But you can call not a God, not only God and sovereign and king, but you have a personal relationship with him. He is your heavenly father and you are his child if you have been born again. Now, there are those who would have us to believe that God is the father of everyone. And the truth of the matter is he is not. God is not the father of everyone. On one occasion, our Lord said of the hypocritical Pharisees and Sadducees, you are of your father, the devil. So there are some people in this world whose father is the devil, the Satan, uh, Lucifer, the one who is evil and, and they follow him uh, in their attitude, in their activities and everything that they are and that they do. And he is saying, your father is none other than the devil himself. And so God is not the father of everyone. He is the creator of everyone, uh, he, but he's not the father of everyone nor everything. He created cats and dogs and flies and frogs, but he's not their father. He is their creator. And God makes it clear in the scriptures that we who are his children can call him father. So how does one become a child of God so that they can call God Father? Well, it is an experience that Jesus identified as being born again. 
to Nicodemus, a religious leader uh, was told by our Lord that except he be born again, he, should not, he could not enter the kingdom of God, would not even see the kingdom of God. And he didn't understand it. He was a religious man, but he didn't have the slightest idea what our Lord was talking about, being born again. What do you mean being born again? You mean I've got to go back into my mother's womb and be reconceived and go through nine months of pregnancy and, and be born again? That No, Jesus is saying that's not the what I'm talking about. As you were born of water, so you must also be born of the Spirit. I personally interpret that expression to mean that as you were born of water, as you know, when a child uh, is conceived, uh, he or she, the baby is conceived and, and, and is in a bag of water. And when the water breaks, the child is born. And so I think Jesus was saying, as you have a physical birth, then you must also have a spiritual birth. You were born of the earth and of flesh, but you must also be born from above. And the way that you are born from above and become a child of God is that you realize that you are a sinner. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You must realize that you cannot save yourself. You're not good enough. There's not enough good things that you can do to merit your uh, being saved by your works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace, not of works lest any man should boast. So it's all purely of the grace of Almighty God and the mercy of the Lord that he allows us to be saved when we call upon him. And so I come to the Father and, and I, I come in a repentant spirit and I confess my sins to the Father and I say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and, and that I've fallen short of your glory. I don't deserve forgiveness, but I'm asking you as I confess my sins to you and repent of my sins to come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior and the Holy Spirit does a miracle, a miracle called conversion, redemption. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts you and pricks you and convinces you that you need to be saved. And when you come to him in a repentant spirit, the Holy Spirit causes you to be born into the family of God and you become a child of, the God, of God, a child of the King. And so you're born into the family of God and then you can begin calling uh, God your Father, God your Father. So, um, you know, and when you come to the Lord, uh, we are to honor him, revere him, stand in awe of him. Uh, Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father who is in heaven, uh, according to the Jewish idea, you recall, there are three heavens. The first heaven is what we call our atmosphere and our environment. That's where we live and the birds fly around in the air and so forth. The second heaven is what they understood to be outer space where the moon and the planets and the galaxies and all of those things are out there in outer space. The third heaven uh, is beyond all of that where our Lord is omnipresent. That is, he is everywhere. There is no place that God is not, but heaven in the third heaven is his special glorified abode. That's where his throne is and that's where he resides, although he is everywhere. Paul, you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, had an experience, he said, uh, that he was caught up into the third heaven so he either by vision or literally was caught up into heaven and he saw things that just defied human description. And lest he be puffed up with pride, God uh, allowed and sent a, a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. But Paul said there was a third heaven and that's where God is. And God is not only in heaven where his abode is, but he is holy. And so he says, when you approach him, although you call him father, you must respect him. You must honor him, you must revere him, and so uh, you don't go and express silly 
terms in talking to him, but you say in a reverent way, our father, our father. Paul, however, remember over in the book of Romans says that we have such a close, personal, loving, uh, reverent, respectful relationship with our father that you can also call him Abba. Abba is an Aramaic term which means daddy, daddy. And it doesn't mean that you're disrespectful should you address the father in that way. It just sees, it, it's, Abba was an Aramaic term that a little child would use calling him dad, just like you would call your father dad. My children call me dad rather than father. They call me dad or daddy. Uh, my grandkids call me G-daddy. <clears throat> One of them calls me Big G. So there's an affectionate term there. They're not being disrespectful. They're just calling me a name that is very affectionate for them to refer to me in that way. And when you call God, Father, or Abba, Daddy, you do it in a respectful and honorable way. You honor him and you honor his name. A name in, in, the, in the scriptures and, and among Jewish people is more than just a title or a tag that you would give to a child or a person. When you refer to a person's name, you're talking about their character, who they are and what they are. You know, if, if you attack my name, if you say, well, Alan Reed, you know, he's a scandal. He's a, you can't trust him. He's a, uh, you know, call me all kinds of names. You're, you're, you're not just attacking my name. You're attacking my character, my character. And, and if you, my integrity, you attack my integrity, you don't, you don't have anything else. I mean, that's it, folks. So uh, you, you, you respect a person's character. And when you, when you approach God, you, you respect him. You honor him in, in that way. And, and when you do so, you don't, you don't have to talk to God in Shakespearean language. Let me go back and revert back to when my children were, were ch children, teenagers. And suppose my daughter, Carrie, uh, would come to me on one occasion and she would address me this way. Oh, hell thou eminent pastor of First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches. I beseech thee that thou wouldest grant to your daughter whom you love and who loves you some financial assistance that I may sojourn to young Walmart and buy some necessary items. Well, that, that'd be crazy, you know, I think. I want to say to her, what have you been sniffing? <laughs> no, wouldn't it be better if she would just have said to me, I love you, daddy. I'm so glad you're home. I need $5 to go to Walmart in order to buy some things that I need. I can understand that. When you talk to God, you don't have to use stained glass windows, language. You just talk to God. Just be real. Just be yourself. And tell him what you need. And he'll hear and he'll respond. There's an old Roman story that William Barclay tells in one of his commentaries on the Gospel of Matthew about the days of the Roman emperor. In those days when a Roman emperor had gone off to, to battle or as general, they would come back and they would usually give him a, a, a what we would call a ticker tape parade. And uh, he would be out in front of the parade and he'd have the spoils of the conquest following him and, and uh, the, the instruments playing and everybody cheering him and so forth. The Roman legionnaires would probably line up on both sides of the streets where he would be coming in order to keep the crowd back. And suppose the Roman emperor, as he came along in the parade, 
arrived at that point of the parade where uh, there was a platform on which uh, uh, was his wife and all of his uh, family and his children. And as he approached that particular point of the parade, the smallest little boy on the platform would suddenly jump off and, uh, and, and work his way through the crowd and, and crawl under the, between the legs of one of the Roman soldiers uh, in order to get to uh, the emperor. And the, the Roman legionnaire would reach, they'd scoop down uh, and, and pick up the little boy and hold him and say, son, you can't do that. Don't you know who that is? That's the emperor. You can't go over there. And the little boy would laugh and say, well, he may be your emperor, but he's my father. <laughs> and that's the way we can approach God. He's sovereign, he's God, he's holy, but he's your father too. And when you pray, whatever your prayer is, you address him in a holy and reverent way, but you can be intimately expressing your desires and concerns and your needs to him. This is the person of the prayer, our father. The second thing is the purpose of the prayer. The purpose of the prayer is seen in the expression, your will be done. Your will be done. This part of the prayer tells us that prayer has one major purpose. And your major purpose in praying is for the Father's will to be done in your life. No matter whatever else may be your concern, you should pray, Father, if it is your will, if it is your will. In 1 John 5, 14, John writes, This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So as someone has said, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer than that which lies outside of the will of God. So in our praying, whatever our needs may be or our desires may be, we must first and foremost ask the Lord's will to be done in our lives. Well, how do we know what God's will is? Well, here's one way right here in the Bible. If you read the Bible, you'll find many things that God says about what your will is and what his will is for your life. Uh, and so we pray when we read the scriptures and what God says about our lives and our needs and our desires and yes, even our wants, if our ways please the Lord, then we shall ask whatever we will and it will be done unto us. So I must live my life in a way that is pleasing unto the Father and in accordance with his will. I must be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit when you were saved when you opened up your life and received the Lord Jesus Christ, in essence, what happened was God the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart. And God the Holy Spirit communicates with your spirit. In Romans chapter 8, he says that it is the Holy Spirit who gives us the confidence and the assurance that we are the children of God. And so what happens is God the Holy Spirit communicates to my spirit what the Father's will is. And then it's my responsibility to yield to that will and to that desire. And the Bible tells us, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, this is what Paul said. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. 
For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with gropings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And what Paul is saying here is that, you know, there are sometimes you just don't know how to express what's on your heart. You just, you sometimes just kind of stumble around trying to find the right words. And, and when you, when you have that kind of experience, the Lord knows your heart, the Holy Spirit knows your heart and the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to take the desires of your heart and interpret it for the father. He says, in essence, father, this is what he's trying to say. This is what she's trying to say. And, and so you pray in the spirit and you just allow the Holy Spirit to take over and to allow his will to be done. Now, sometimes that's difficult to do, to, to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm suffering, I'm hurting uh, and, and I want to be healed. I want to be saved. I want, I want this, I want deliverance. And sometimes it doesn't come, but God always answers our prayers. He will either answer with a yes or a no, or wait a while. But sooner or later, in his way, and according to his timing, he will answer your prayer if it is in his will. And if it's not, he'll say no to you. He'll say no to you. You know, man's ruin began in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, there was Adam. And God said, don't eat of that fruit. Adam said, I will anyway. So Adam ate of that fruit. He wasn't doing God's will. He was doing his will. Adam, the first Adam, and the Bible calls Adam the first Adam. The first Adam, Adam was, I'll do it my way. Jesus is called the second Adam. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he did just the reverse. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And God answered that prayer. And uh, he did. So we're to pray with the knowledge of the scriptures and with submission to the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to assist us and to help us to pray in a way that is in keeping with God's will. God's will, according to Romans chapter 12, is always good and perfect and acceptable. This is his good and perfect and acceptable will. And Paul says we are not to be conformed to the world, but be conformed to his way and his world, his will. So... The purpose of the prayer is for God's will to be done in your life. Here's the third thing. Not only the person of the prayer and the purpose of the prayer, but there is the provision of prayer. The provision of prayer. This is seen in the expression, give us this day our daily bread. Now, I believe, along with those who have interpreted this to mean, that the, the Lord's prayer or the model prayer is to be a morning prayer. Have you ever thought about that? A morning prayer. And you say, well, pastor, why do you call it a morning prayer? Well, we'll here he is saying, give us this day our daily bread. Well, if I'm ready to go to bed and I get down on my knees by the side of my bed or wherever it is I'm praying and I say, Lord, give me my daily bread and then jump in the bed and go to sleep. <laughs> that, that, that's an evening prayer. No, I'm to start my day off with this. Lord, it's a new day. 
And uh, I'm praying that you'll give me my daily bread. My daily bread. Now, go back with me for a moment in the days of the scriptures when uh, it was extremely important that a, a common laborer would receive his pay, his wage, at the end of the day because um, he had a family to feed. And, it, and he lived on a daily basis, I mean, from, from hand to mouth. I mean, they, they, they didn't have savings accounts. He wasn't making a whole lot of money. He got a daily wage. You may recall in the 20th chapter of the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus tells the parable about a, a, a man who, who owned a big uh, garden and, and was a gardener and a harvester and a farmer, and he would hire laborers. And at the end of the day, he would instruct his foreman to say, now give to each man his daily wage. Because then the man could go to the market and buy the food to take home and feed his family. It's interesting that in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19 and verse 13, the Bible says that a man who has hired hands is not to withhold from that hired hand his daily wages and hold it overnight and not give it to him until the next morning. This is in the Bible, folks. You were not to hold or, with, or, or refrain from giving to him his rightful wage because it meant that his family would go hungry. And so he says you, you have to have daily bread. Daily bread. Well, we have daily needs too. We do. We, we have, we, and, and James tells us the same thing over in his epistle, the fifth chapter. He said, you know, don't withhold the wages that rightfully belong to your laborers. You give to them what they have worked for and they have earned. It's important for them to have their daily wages because they have daily needs. Well, we have daily needs too. And God will supply those daily needs. The Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply all of your needs, not all of your wants, but all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So God has an un, unending supply house to supply every need that you have, but sometimes we are guilty of what James says in his epistle. He says, some of you have not because you asked not and others of you have not because you asked with the wrong motive. And if you ask God with the wrong motive, you're not gonna get it either. So make sure that when you pray that you ask in the right way for the right reason for the right need. When we get to heaven, I don't know if there will be a big storehouse or not. But it may be, I like to use my sanctified imagination, that one day I could be walking down the streets of heaven and I look over here and see a huge warehouse. And I would say to the Lord, Lord, what's in that warehouse? And he might would say to me, uh, well, those are the blessings that I wanted to give to you. But you never asked for them. And so here they are, unused, unused. Jesus said to take up your cross daily. And so we're to daily follow him and we have daily needs and the Lord is wanting to and capable of meeting those needs, but you must ask in keeping with his will. Here is the fourth thing, not only the purpose of the prayer and the purpose of the prayer and the provisions of the prayer, but there is the pardon, the pardon of the prayer because in verse 11, he says, our prayer should include forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. So this is another reason why I say this is not the Lord's prayer that he would pray. The Lord would not pray this prayer. And this is the reason why. He had no sins to confess. Why would he be praying a, a prayer that he didn't, didn't apply to him? Here in verse 11, we're specifically told to pray that God would forgive us of our sins. Well, he had no sins. So this is not a prayer that the Lord would pray. He says, you ask me, teach us how to pray. I'm teaching you how to pray. You're the sinner, I'm not. And you're the one who needs to be forgiven. And you're the one who needs to confess your sins, not me. So when you pray, pray like this, Lord, forgive me of my debts, even as I forgive those debtors. Now the word debt, you read in Luke chapter 11, he, he translates the word debt as sins. Lord, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And this would go right along with chapter six of Matthew and verse 14 where he says, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. So sometimes my prayers will be based on if I'm holding a grudge against somebody else and I'm holding on to that grudge and I haven't confessed it and asked the Lord to help me to forgive me and to deal, to deal with that, uh, I, I must be willing to forgive other people of the sins that they've committed against me. And so it's a two-way basis here, two-way conversation and forgiveness. If I want God to forgive me, I must be willing to forgive others. And so he is saying there is pardon there. We need forgiveness and we need to be humble uh, before the Lord. And if we will confess and repent, God will cleanse and God will forgive. Jesus taught us to pray for daily forgiveness just as we pray for daily bread. And folks, there's not a day that goes by that you don't sin in some way. It may be an act, it may be a word, it may be a thought, it may be a deed, it may be a motive, but we all sin. There's not a sinless person alive in this room or in the entire world. We're all sinners. You're all sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we all are. And we all need to be forgiven. And God is willing to do so if we were praying. Psalms tells us in chapter 66 and verse 18, if I regard sin in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. And I've told you before, the word regard means that you, you have a sin, a pet sin that you hold on to. And you, you just kind of tuck it away in the back corner of your heart and, and you pull it out every once in a while and you kind of pamper it and play with it and you're glad that it's there and you put it back in there, but you never deal with it. And the Bible says as long as you hide sin that is unconfessed in your life, you can pray your heart out, but the Lord will not respond because there is a hindrance between you and the Lord in that unconfessed sin. So if I regard in wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The Bible says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we cannot pray effectively with dirty hands and defiled hearts and double minds. We must ask first of all, God forgive me of my sin. You've heard the story many times. It's an old preacher story that's kind of overused, but again, I remind you, your memory is so short, so let me refresh your memory. Over in the South Sea Islands, the way that a monkey is caught is that those natives will take a, um, a coconut and they will cut a hole in it and dump out the, the liquid that's on the inside of it and they will fill that uh, coconut up full of, of rice. 
A monkey loves rice, and so they'll just make a hole big enough for that monkey to put his hand into that coconut, and he'll grab hold a fistful of rice in his little hand. And so when he starts to pull his hand out, he's got a fist, and the fist is bigger than the hole that he used to get inside there. And so he won't let go of the rice. And so when he starts, he, he can't get his hand out, so he's trapped. All he has to do is open his hands up and release the rice and get his hand out. But he wants that rice so bad, he won't open up his hand. And so they catch him. And you know, the devil does us the same way, doesn't he? He lures us and, and we grab hold of that sin and we hold on to it and we won't let go of it. And so we never get the blessings that God wants us to have. So many of us, it seems, would rather hold on to our sins than to enjoy the freedom that prayer will bring when we confess. Are there sins in your heart that you've held on to? If you will pray and ask God to forgive, he will. Notice number five, not only the person of the prayer and the purpose of the prayer and the provisions of the prayer and the pardon of the prayer, but there is the protection of the prayer. And the protection is seen in the expression, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word evil here could be more literally translated the evil one. It is a reference to the devil, Satan, Lucifer. So, Lord, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, the devil. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. He is on the prowl. He hates you. He's out to destroy you. He's out to deceive you. He's out to trick you into committing sin. He will place temptation in front of you and he will entice you to yield to that temptation. So you must be constantly on your guard. The Bible says be alert be on your guard, be awake at any moment. You don't know when the devil is going to attack. He is prowling around looking for somebody to devour and he's looking to devour you. You're number one on his list. We all are and we need protection. And so he's not saying that the Lord would lead us into temptation. To say lead us not into temptation is a negative statement. In reality, what he's saying is, Lord, you lead me in the right way so that I won't be led to commit sin. The Lord will be your leader. He will direct you if you allow him to. Paths of righteousness for his namesake, the psalmist said. And so I must pray and ask the Lord to guide me every single day of my life. The, de the devil is at war with God. He's not at war with you. He's at war with God. But if you have an enemy and you've tried every way in the world to get at that enemy and you have been unsuccessful, is there another way that you can get at your enemy? Yes, there is. And that is to get at the, the one that the enemy loves. If it's a, a family member and, and, you, and you have something against this family, well, you want to hurt one of his kids, you see. You, you, if you can't get at him, you get at somebody he loves. Well, God loves you. He cares about you. And, and if, if the devil can't get at God, he's going to get at someone God loves, and that's you. And so he's after you. He's out to destroy you. And he will if you allow him to. So we need God's protection every single day. When you wake up, 
You need to pray, if you want to pray a prayer, then pray that, that you will be dressed with the spiritual armor that, that Paul talks about in the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Have on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shoes of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the sword, which is the word of God. Because you're in spiritual warfare, folks, every single day of your life. Every day when you wake up, you are at war with God, with, with the devil. And, and he, your protection is to put on the spiritual armor that God provides for you. And so pray that God will lead you in the right way so that you will not yield to the temptations and be alert and on guard. And then finally, number six, there is the praise of the prayer. The praise of the prayer. The last part of verse 13 is a doxology. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The word amen means so may it be or let it be. So these words form a doxology. We must always include at some point in our prayers a praise to God. Praise the Lord for who he is, for his kingdom, for his power, and for his glory. Now God's kingdom is not of this world. Jesus said it wasn't. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm talking about a spiritual kingdom, Jesus said. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about it can be understood in two ways. The kingdom of God comes into your heart when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. He comes to abide in you. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, it's not within everybody. It just, the kingdom of God comes to you at conversion. When you become a child of God, when you repent of your sins, when you embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus in the Spirit, takes up residence in your heart. And we ask him to be not only our Savior, but our Lord. But there's a second sense in which the kingdom of God is to come, and that is when Jesus returns to this earth. The second coming of Jesus when he'll come upon into this world and he will set up his millennium kingdom and this millennium kingdom after a thousand years will roll into that eternal kingdom of our heavenly father and we'll be uh, with him. We'll be able to reign with him. We'll share with him God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory and God is eternal because he says thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. You remember the angel Gabriel said to Mary, about the Messiah whom she would conceive and give birth to and he would become the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And he said, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. He'll have eternal kingdom and you and I will be a part of that. And so we're to pray and praise God for who he is. Billy Sunday was right when he said that we need to jerk out some of the groans and moans of our prayers and to shove in some hallelujahs. <laughs> Hallelujah. You ever just go to the Lord and pray and don't ask him for a thing, just praise him? Just praise him. Just thank him. Just honor him. And, and maybe sometimes the best way you can pray is just to sit at the feet of Jesus and be quiet and let him speak to you. Oh, he will. He will. Someone has taken the Lord's Prayer, and I close with this in explaining it in this manner. I cannot say our 
if I live only for myself. I cannot say father if I do not endeavor each day to act like his child. I cannot say who is in heaven if I am not laying up treasure there. I cannot say hallowed be thy name if I am not striving for holiness myself. I cannot say thy kingdom come if I am not doing all that's within my power to hasten that wonderful event to come. You know, the Bible says that you can hasten the coming of the Lord. You know that, don't you? It's over in Peter. You can hasten the coming of the Lord. How? By sharing the gospel. By telling other people about Jesus. Someday, the last soul on the face of this earth will be saved and Jesus will come. So how do you know that the person you're going to be witnessing to will be that last one? I cannot say thy will be done if I'm not obedient to his word. I cannot say on earth as it is in heaven if I'm not serving him right now. I cannot give, say give us this day our daily bread if I am dishonest and I'm not seeking things unselfishly. I cannot say forgive us of our sins or debts if I harbor a grudge in my heart about somebody else. I cannot say lead us not into temptation if I deliberately place myself in its path. I cannot say deliver us from evil if I do not put on the whole armor of God. I cannot say thine is the kingdom if I do not give the king the loyalty that is due to him from a faithful servant. I cannot attribute to him the power if I fear what men can do to me. I cannot ascribe to him the glory if I am seeking honor and glory only for myself. And I cannot say forever if the horizon of my life is bounded completely by time. Amen, amen. and amen. May we pray. Dear Father, oh, how privileged we are to call you Father. You are our God, but you're our Father too, and I thank you and praise you for who you are and for giving me the privilege of calling you Father. I want to honor you and glorify you in the way that I live. I, I desire for my will to be submissive to yours, Lord. I need daily bread which means I have daily needs, Lord, that I need supplied. You know what they are. And in privacy, I can share those things with you and will and have. I know the devil is constantly after me, always throwing temptations in my path, luring me in my old fleshly desires and how weak I am at times and I surrender, I must admit. I pray for forgiveness. Oh God, cleanse me and set me free that I might be forgiving of others who have offended me. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for the privilege of sharing this message in the gospel of Jesus Christ with these, your dear people. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you'll have your will and your way done in every heart and life of every person who's here. And if there's someone here today who's never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, O Spirit of God, Open their eyes, bring conviction, and bring conversion. 
and give them the courage to step out and to step forward and make it public to others that we all might rejoice along with the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. May you receive the honor and the glory for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.